0: kind of in uh, the midst of a year-long series at this point uh, that we've entitled Called Out. Not uh, not necessarily that God calls us out for doing something, but he calls us out of darkness and into his wonderful light, out of our sin and into uh, just the idea of what it is to follow him. And And so uh, in this fourth part of this series we 've been looking at the idea of the kingdom, the kingdom of god the the reign of Jesus on the earth the the sense where uh, he is making all things new. And so what does it look like for us as a church to be about his kingdom and the growth of his kingdom in the area to which he's called? As Jack prayed earlier, we uh, strive to be a gospel community, uh, a people of God defined by the gospel, of, defined by his grace. But that gospel community that has a redeeming effect or that becomes for the community around us, a gospel community for our community. And so when we start thinking through the idea of the kingdom, God works in us so that he might work through us. And, uh, and so as we grasp uh, the, the grace of God, as we are healed in our own hearts by the grace of God, uh, we begin to see that having a redeeming effect. On people around us. And so we're going to look at um, a passage this morning that explains and and just looks at an aspect of the kingdom, uh, and it's that idea of the actual tangible healing that Jesus brings. And so if you would, uh, would you stand with me as we just look and and submit ourselves to the Word of God? We're going to be looking at Matthew 8, starting in verse 5, and then uh, go into verse 13. And the soldiers under with soldiers under me. And I say to one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my servant, Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Into the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Let's pray. Uh, God, thank you that you uh, are not merely uh, restoring the spiritual realm. Thank you, God, that you heal and that you restore the physical, tangible reality of this earth. Father, would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Would your kingdom come? Would you uh, help us, just encourage us uh, with the sense of your kingdom this morning? We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. So today is Super Bowl Sunday. 49ers versus the Chiefs. And uh, but you know, the Niners, they won uh, 13 games this regular season. They were 13 and 3, uh, first place in the in the NFC. But not too not too long ago, they were terrible. Uh 2016, um, out of 16 games, they won two. Okay? Uh, 2017, after starting the season 0 and 9, they ended up 6 and 10. Not too bad. Um, but in 2018, they re- they regressed to four wins, and then this year. 13 wins and they end up heading to the super bowl so when you feel like the 49ers of, of the last few seasons when things are chaotic when things are falling apart when you only win two games out of 16 and just just mind you that's terrible okay uh in, in case you're not much of a football fan uh when things are falling apart what do you long for you long for someone to come in and chart a new course, someone to come in and set things right again, someone to come in and turn things around. And if you know anything about the 49ers, it was at that uh, three-year-ago point that they hired a new general manager and and a new coach, and and things, as you see now, have turned Around the good news of the kingdom of God is that sense of turnaround. When things are falling apart, Jesus breaks into human history and restores broken things. He turns things around, and we need to hear. If you're anything like me, and you might be feeling like things are uh, like just not going the way they should, or maybe they're chaotic, or they're falling apart, or you feel like you're at the end of the rope, what do we need to hear? We need to hear the good news of the kingdom. We need to hear the good news that Jesus is ruling, that Jesus is reigning, Jesus is restoring broken things. It's not some mere theological discussion that we're going to wax eloquent about. The idea of the kingdom, the rule and the reign of Jesus, is our hope and our joy it's not just something that we're going to think about and learn about and, be, and go out. It, it is the very thing that ought to reorient how we view life. When we go to work tomorrow morning, and we're tired because we stayed up too late watching football, we need to hear... That Jesus is ruling and reigning. When we're facing that thing at work that we feel like, you know what, there is nothing that can go right here. Jesus is ruling and reigning. And it's that idea of the rule of Jesus that's the gospel. Yes, he rules our hearts. We get forgiveness for sins, but he rules all things. Jesus says, I am making all things new. And if you think about it, uh, when, when Jesus is, if you've read through the book of Matthew, he says, Matthew says this twice, and they're kind of bookends around the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount and the end of this chapter that we're going to look at in, in chapter 8, where Jesus begins to perform miracles. And so in chapter 4, verse 23, is, is this comment of Matthew, which we talked about with the kids. And he, Jesus, went through all Galilee— teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Okay, So keep that in mind, and then go to chapter 9, verse 35, and notice how similar these verses are. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. The summary of the ministry of Jesus in the book of Matthew is right here, that he's proclaiming the good news, but it's not just the good news of forgiveness for your sins. It's the good news that Jesus will rule our heart, and Jesus will rule and heal all things. His kingdom would come. And what's amazing in that is as Jesus is ruling, as Jesus comes in a new way, and, and, and we see the, the experiential effect of his rule and reign, he hears the cries of people around him. What's wild about this, this passage that we just read is who is the one that's coming to him? It's a centurion. And who's a centurion? A centurion is a Roman officer. A centurion is, is the, remember, a Roman commander of the army. And, and as it says, as Jesus came to Capernaum. Now, Capernaum was on the north part of the Galilean Sea, and it was a crossroads in this time. It was a major trade center, and there was a tax station for Rome. And Rome had basically taken over uh, Israel. They were ruling Israel. They were the enemy, Right? And so this man, this centurion, he represents Roman rule, Roman oppressive rule to God's people. And this centurion comes to Jesus and says, Lord, I need your help. If you're an an Israelite at that time, and the promised Messiah was going to free you, and going to free people from broken things, and free people from oppressive rule, and then here's Jesus helping the enemy. I would imagine that Jesus is pushing on all sorts of different things and causing people to question his method and his ministry. Uh, Dr. Dan Doriani, one of the professors in, in seminary that I was under, he said that centurions were the rough equivalent of a Nazi captain in the army while they, they, um, inha- or they took over France in World War II. So how do you think French people would look at a, look at a Nazi uh, captain of the army? French people would see that as a, a horrific thing, and yet that's the one that Jesus is hearing his cry for mercy. And so Jesus hears our cry for help. And in that, In that, we see the authority of Jesus over all things. That the good news of the kingdom is not merely that Jesus has authority and uh, can heal the human heart, your heart and my heart, in rebellion against God. But he has authority over all things. What's the centurion coming and asking for? Okay, so the centurion comes to Jesus and he says in verse verse 6, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. He actually doesn't ask for anything. He just states the problem, okay? And so my servant is paralyzed. He's suffering terribly. The implied thing is, Jesus, would you heal my servant? And how does Jesus respond? He said to him, I will. I will come and I will heal him. That Jesus is stating uh, not merely the healing of of a heart, not merely the the, the healing of someone in rebellion against God, but he is healing actual, tangible, broken things in this world. So fast forward to Matthew 11, when uh, John the Baptist is actually sitting in prison— He's in prison, and everybody's watching Jesus minister. And remember, John was the one that, before Jesus showed up, he's preaching the gospel of repentance. And he's saying, come to, uh, you know, return back to God because there is an axe at the roots of the tree, meaning people of Israel. You might be around the things of God, but you're about to get chopped down because you don't know God repent in return so that's what john was preaching before jesus's ministry so now john's in prison and what is jesus preaching is he preaching hell fire and brimstone there is an aspect of judgment but he's he's preaching grace he's preaching healing he's speaking to the centurion he's healing the people that are outcast and so Flip to Matthew chapter 11 and the first six verses. John asks a question. So when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John, that's John the Baptist, heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look So what's John asking? John's saying, are you the one, Jesus, that I've been telling people about, that we know we've been awaiting, the awaited Messiah and Savior of Israel? Are you the one who is that person? Jesus' answer is fascinating. And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, excuse me, and the poor have good news preached to them. That would not be the, the, the expected answer of most American Christians. Hey, are you the one? Yeah, I'm the one. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die on the cross for your sins and the sins of my people, and I'm going to raise from the dead. But how does Jesus answer? He says, blind get their sight back, deaf people hear, lame people start to walk again, dead people are raised. What does he point to, to evidence that he is the king that has come to rule? He points to the physical, tangible things that are reversed in this world what is wrong is now being made right the things that are most broken in this world john are now being set back uh set back to order and in addition to that the poor have good news proclaimed or preached to them and so i think we tend to think that the the message of jesus and the good news of the gospel is merely a verbal thing we tell people the good news Jesus most definitely taught and proclaimed the good news of the gospel. But what did he point to to tell John that the kingdom was here? All of the tangible realities that were happening in in broken things being made right again. And so when the centurion comes to him in Matthew 8, uh, he he says, will you heal? Jesus says, yes, I'm going to go and heal. But what's interesting is it's in the context of, of the kingdom that the kingdom leads not only to people surrendering to the authority of Jesus but his healing is the evidence and the result of his kingdom rule it's the reversal or the restoration we need we need to hear the good news of the kingdom because God restores broken things God restores chaos God restores what is wrong and so uh, you can look at it and say all right Jesus must not be pleased with what uh, the way things are because his miracles say that he's going to move and bring about something different. Jesus is not happy with the way things are. He doesn't like that blind people can't see. And what does he do? He restores their sight. And what does that do? It just sets the stage as a foretaste because he doesn't heal every blind person. He doesn't have every person that can't walk begin to walk again, but he does that for some as a taste, as, a, as just a small morsel of what his salvation and, and the fullness of his kingdom will look like. Uh, uh, Tim Keller, in, in commenting on the idea of miracles, he said this, Jesus' miracles are not primarily suspension of natural laws. They are the restoration of natural law. Most people think that Jesus and his miracles, he puts on hold the things that normally operate in this world and the way this world ought to to function. And that's, that's actually opposite. Jesus is restoring what the world should look like as he does the miraculous against death and sin and brokenness in this world. It's not that he's putting this world on hold. He's actually, in that miracle, restoring what this world should be. It's a taste of the final kingdom to come. And so Jesus has authority over all things, and that's why the centurion comes to him. He says, hey, I know you are a, one who has authority. I'm a, I'm a commander of soldiers. I have authority over my soldiers. You have authority over this world. Jesus has authority over all things, but what's wild in that um, in, in restoring broken things he also seeks to restore broken people. so he's coming to this centurion right before this if you look a couple verses back he he heals a leper as you keep going through the through the um, chapter eight he heals somebody who's demon possessed who is Jesus coming to to actually heal and bring the, the evidence of the kingdom. He's coming to those who socially are quite out uh, quite the ones who are outcast and oppressed. In that day, people who suffered with debilitating disease or some sort of uh, deficiency in, in their physical well-being, they were cast off. Lepers, somebody who had a, a horrible skin disease, they had to live outside of the city. They were, had to live away from people. They were outcasts. Many believe that blind people or deaf people or people who couldn't walk, uh, they were not full, and I'm using that in quotes, full Israelites. They were cast off. They were brushed aside. And so Jesus not only physically heals them, but if you're a leper and you have to live outside of the city and you are now healed, what also is restored to you besides your health? Your status in society, your connection to people again, you're brought back into the community. So Jesus is not just healing uh, physical things, but he's also looking to heal uh, those, um, uh, you know, the whole person, even the societal uh, place of people. And so as Jesus looks and he's seeking to restore broken people, what does the centurion say to him? Jesus, I'll come and I'll heal your servant, what does the centurion say? He says this. He says, Lord, verse 8, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. It's interesting. I'm not enough. I'm not adequate. I'm not qualified. A centurion was the best and brightest in the Roman army. You don't get to be a centurion, a ruler of a hundred soldiers for nothing. Nothing. You were the man. And he says, I'm not worthy to have you in my house. And what's going on here is uh, the humility of this man recognizes that Jesus has authority to heal. Jesus has authority uh, over his servant and has authority over his own And so uh, Jesus has authority over all things, but yet uh, it's not merely that it stops there. The authority of Jesus is seen how? How is the authority of Jesus seen? It's in the power of his word. So uh, keep going in verse 8. The centurion says, I'm not worthy to even have you come under my roof, but what? But only Say the word and my servant will be healed. Only say the word, speak it, and it will happen. You know, so Jesus, how does he heal the leper? Yes, he touched him, but that wasn't what healed. He healed him by his word. Uh, uh, He heals the centurion's servant by his word. He heals the sick by his word. He calms the storm and the seas that's raging later in this chapter by his word. He drives out demons by the word of his mouth he forgives sin why and how by the power of his word doriani goes on again he says in all of jesus's healing there is never an amulet a potion or an incantation there's no holy water no midnight trance he speaks and it is so That's the power of Jesus. He has not just authority over all things, but that this world listens to him. You remember when when he calmed the storm, uh, what was the response of the disciples? What kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? By the word of Jesus, the, the power of God is there and produces Miracles. He has authority over all things. It's seen in the power of His Word in that it produces miracles. But don't miss something else that it is also not just producing miracles, but it is proclaiming the good news. Remember back when we said that uh, in chapter 4 and chapter 9, He came teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news or the gospel of the kingdom and healing all their diseases is that the idea of the proclamation of the gospel is as much power as the word that heals the leper, that calms the storm and heals this servant. It's not that that's a really powerful word, and then the word of the gospel, the proclamation of the good news, well, that's just an add-on. They are both equally powerful. Herman Ritterboss would say that the preaching of the gospel is no less a proof than the miracles that the kingdom of heaven has come. In a sense, he goes on, there's no difference between the word with which Jesus casts out demons and his preaching of the gospel. It's the same word. And so if his word is able to heal lepers, to cast out demons, it's that same word that heals hearts and heals those who are in rebellion against him. And so what do we do with all this? What do we do with the authority of Jesus over all things, seeing especially in his word? What do we do is that if we uh, leave here and we've not embraced that, it could be true and we could leave not caring at all about that. You could leave uh, with Jesus having authority all things over all things and you still not being surrendered to him. So what's at stake is that our belief in the authority of Jesus is what brings the good news of the kingdom uh, into our lives. And so what's, what's essential is our faith in Jesus. And so what do we see with the centurion? The centurion says, Lord, I'm not worthy. I too am a man under authority. You know, because I tell my soldiers, uh, one to go and he goes, another to come and he comes. A servant, I tell him to do this and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and he said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. What makes Jesus marvel? This and one other thing. Okay, what, is, what is the sense of being to, to marvel is, is that Jesus is amazed. Jesus is in a state of wonder. What makes Jesus kind of step back and be like, like kind of amazed with that? Secular Greek would use this word um, in that time of, of a sense of admiration with a nuance of awe. Because something is very unusual or maybe mysterious. And so uh, Jesus here, he's he's marveling. He's admiring the faith that uh, maybe even with a sense of awe because it is so unusual to see. Most of the passages that use this word is people being awestruck over the miracles of Jesus. Twice this word was used of Jesus. Once here and once of the lack of belief um, of God's people. The people of Israel. Those are the two things that make Jesus marvel and wonder. He's marveling at the centurion's faith. He's marveling at his understanding. And he's marveling at the centurion's submission. Because the centurion's a man of authority. But yet... He is submitting to the authority of Jesus. The faith that is necessary is just like the faith of the the centurion. Jesus, I know you are able, will you? Jesus, I know you could say a word and you could wipe out or you could have my paralyzed servant stand and be healed. Jesus, I know you can say a word and bring the, the chaos of my life to order. Jesus, I know you can Our faith in Jesus is what allows that authority of Jesus to begin to take root in our lives. And so so we receive it, but also our faith to follow Jesus towards people around us is really at stake as well. If Jesus is one who is healing what's wrong, for us to have faith and to follow Jesus, what will we do as well? That we would follow him into making wrong things right. Jesus walks in with the leper. He walks towards the demon-possessed. He walks into what uh, society was running away from, that we have to have, in a sense, a dissatisfaction just like Jesus over the things that are broken in this world. And that is real kingdom-mindedness. It's not the absence of faith. It's faith— that people would come to faith in in Christ and believe, but also that we would have on our heart the things that are broken and wrong in this world being set right again to the glory of God. Because what's really interesting is that faith is a requirement for the entrance into the kingdom of God, but who is the one who is promised the kingdom in this passage? Is it the ones who sit in church or synagogue every week? Is it the ones who know the law, maybe even have it memorized the law of God in the, in the first five books of the Old Testament and know all sorts of things about God? Who is the one that's promised the kingdom? Jesus says this in commenting on the faith of the centurion. Verse 11, I tell you, many will come, from east and west, and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Basically, the people that are outside of the nation of Israel, those are the ones who are going to be ent- become into the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom, which is a phrase that describes the people of Israel, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those from afar, they will recline with Jesus at the wedding supper of the Lamb, Revelation 19. Those who are so close yet do not have faith in who Jesus is, it is those that will be thrown into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. In a sense, the greatest thing that we can do for anybody in our community is to, uh, to come towards them and to see wrong things made right, help them in some way if they are unable to provide for themselves, if they need help. If, if Whatever it is, we can move towards the broken things in this world. We talked about foster care last week. We talked about fighting for the lives of the unborn. We, there's so many different aspects of what that can look like. It can be befriending someone who does not have friends that lives maybe next door to you or across the street. What does the coming of the kingdom look like tangibly? But it can't stop there because faith is of the essence as well. Jesus heals the human heart, but he also heals broken things. And that's what God's call is for us, that we get to be a part of seeing that become a reality and people tasting the kingdom of God and his rule and his reign in this world. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, uh, thank you that you don't uh, only heal hearts and bring them back into relationship with your Father. But God, you heal things in this world. And God, we just, uh, I pray, God, that you would give us eyes to see what is wrong around us. Father, I think we need to begin with our own hearts And last week, as we looked at that idea of repentance, God, that we would turn from our old ways and turn to Jesus. God, that you would renew us, that you would restore us. But Father, what else is broken in this world? What else is wrong in this world? God, what else do we need to see your kingdom come and your will be done? Uh, Father, I pray that you would give us uh, the grace that we would follow you into those things. That we would see the the tangible effects of the kingdom, of your rule and your reign. God, that people might taste your goodness. People might taste your love. And Father, I pray that you would draw people to a true and real faith uh, in Christ. And God, use us in that process. God, help us to be a real blessing to the community around us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.